I mean, is it sincere? Or is it simply just an act to impress people who are new to the area? And the answers this person received on this online thread, as you can imagine, I mean, they were varied. And they varied greatly. Some people launched into long arguments trying to establish the legitimacy of Southern hospitality while claiming that people who lived elsewhere, I guess outside the South, had to fake it. Southern hospitality only exists here. We're the only ones who really know how to do hospitality. Some said that small town Southerners could be counted on to provide hospitality, but if you were dealing with a city dweller, well, it was questionable. And still others admitted that Southern hospitality was due only to politeness. It was never sincere, it was never genuine, but that it was okay to be polite to someone's face and gossip behind their back because they had seen British and French people do it all the time. Well, starting tonight, and for the next couple weeks, we're going to see that divine hospitality brought to us in the Incarnation is more than good manners. It's more than mere politeness hiding the real intentions of the heart. And it's more than a tool used to impress others with our possessions or our station in life. Divine hospitality doesn't stay home. Divine hospitality invades a world without a home. And it comes into that world bringing healing and bringing comfort and bringing truth, and bringing forgiveness, and bringing justice, and bringing mercy, and righteousness to the full spectrum of human brokenness. And in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 10, from which we've read already a lot tonight in our liturgy, we get several snapshots of what this divine hospitality looks like. Several snapshots of the invasion of God's kingdom blessings coming through the person and through the words and through the deeds of Jesus. At the close of Luke chapter 9 to set up chapter 10, we find Jesus proclaiming that his mission of bringing divine hospitality to the world is so significant that it demands the subjecting of all priorities to following the king and proclaiming his kingdom. It demands the subjection of all priorities to following the divine host and proclaiming his dinner party. And then, at the beginning of chapter 10, Jesus sends out 72 disciples to do exactly that. These 72 disciples were to go through every town and every place that Jesus was about to go, proclaiming to them that the king, the divine host, become human, was about to invade their towns with his own hospitality, his own kingdom blessings. Just as he had invaded their own humanity with the fullness of his deity, he was going to invade the brokenness of their lives with the fullness of his healing. But their task was not just one of proclaiming divine hospitality, not just one of preaching the kingdom, but of also doing the deeds of the kingdom to testify to the reality of the kingdom's presence. Everywhere they went, they were to heal the sick, 
bringing the fullness of restoration to meet the ravages caused by the fullness of the fall. They proclaimed a divine and a human king, and they came performing spiritual and physical deeds of mercy and justice. Everywhere they went, they were to cast out demons, declaring with powerful actions and powerful deeds that their coming of Jesus' hospitality, when he came, he was going to turn on all the lights in all the dark rooms, and he was going to clean the house of filth. And he was going to throw out all the pretenders and all the abusers and all the idols and set up for himself a house pure for worship. And after the 72 returned from their mission, they rejoiced. And Jesus prays a prayer for them in verse 21, highlighting the truth that divine hospitality is about the transcendent magnificent Father who dwells in unapproachable light and splendor, sending His Son to become one of the marginalized, to reach the marginalized. And this prayer is followed by one of the most famous of Jesus' parables. You know it, you're familiar with it, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And this parable illustrates the kingdom message of chapter 10, in a very vivid way. The story of the Good Samaritan loudly proclaims that the fullness of the kingdom, the fullness of divine hospitality, does not come sufficiently through the good doctrine of the lawyer. It doesn't come sufficiently through the piety of the priests. Rather, it comes in fullness through the saving actions and the saving deeds of the marginalized Savior who rescues the marginalized victim on the roadside. He personifies all of us. And in all of these examples, Jesus, as the divine human host, the divine Son, made human for the sake of bringing divine hospitality to a poor and starving and needy world, brings His kingdom, brings His hospitality with actions and deeds, not just words. In fact, the actions and the words go together in Jesus' hospitality. And his followers are commanded to do the same in the power of the Master. As people are healed, the message about the King and his kingdom is to be proclaimed to them. As demons are cast out, the message of God's hospitality is to be proclaimed to them. The kingdom is not just about words. It's not just about a message, but about actions and deeds truly and accurately interpreted and proclaimed. In Jesus, we find both. Jesus has done both of those things for us so that he now sends us to do the same. So when we get to our last story, in Luke chapter 10. You would think, after hearing all of that, after reading all of that, you'd think that a woman who's really busy, a woman who is really working hard, 
A woman who is concerned with good deed after good deed after good deed would be the model of everything Luke has been telling us in chapter 10. That's not what we find. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him to her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered to her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. You'd think that after a chapter demonstrating God's invasion plan and divine hospitality, that we'd see Martha working so hard to serve, and we'd think, yep, there's a woman who gets it. There's a person who gets what God's kingdom's all about. There's someone who's working really hard to install the kingdom. But that's not the point we get in this story. I mean, you can picture sitting on the couch in this house and the awkwardness, can't you? I mean, the scent of whatever food's been cooking in the kitchen is filling the whole house. And the air in the kitchen is a lot warmer than the air everywhere else because the oven's been on all day. Martha's been sweating from the higher temperatures. She's been sweating as she walks from the kitchen back and forth to the dining room to set the table with plates and with silverware. The dirty dishes are really starting to stack up because no one whose name rhymes with Barry was good enough to unload the dishwasher with still has clean dishes in it. So the dirty dishes are stacking up next to the sink. The water is in the sink is soapy and hot and deep, and it's only adding to the heat in the room, and it's only adding to the heat of Martha's anger towards her sister. There's still a salad to make. There's still dirt on the floor to sweep. And instead of cleaning it, Mary's sitting in it at the feet of Jesus. And so feeling burdened and stressed by it all, Martha's a little miffed at her sister. Miffed. It's a good church word. We all know how she really feels, don't we? And if we know there's certain words that you don't say at church, Martha definitely knows there's certain things you don't say to your sister when the Son of God's sitting in your living room. So, in the interest of good southern hospitality, she politely tattles on her sister. What's Martha's problem exactly? I mean, she certainly seems to get the whole deeds part of divine hospitality. I mean, doesn't she? I mean, she seems to get the whole part about the kingdom coming in power with actions and deeds and works of justice and mercy. By the way, her name means lady of the house. 
the queen hostess. So, you know, if you can picture some, you know, old aristocratic British mansion from some bygone era with some lady of the house coming down, gathering together all the kitchen servants and all the cleaning servants and all the butlers and telling them, send out the invitations. Next week, we're going to have a party. We're going to have a shindig, if you will. Sure, shindig is what they call it in Britain. And all that that scene brings to your mind is what Martha's name means. She's the lady of the house. She's the lady of the manor. She's the hostess. And that's Martha's problem. Martha's name and Martha's activity has caused her to think that she's the hostess here. She hasn't caught on yet that even though she's the one who's been making the food, even though she's the one who's been cleaning the house, even though she's the one who's been setting the table, and she's the one who's been wearying herself out with the stress of it all, she's not the hostess of this party. The host is sitting on her couch. And the only other person in the house who gets it is sitting at his feet listening to her, listening to him. Martha pictures for us the disciple who is busy doing kingdom work, doing the deeds of divine hospitality out of her own resources, out of her own guilt and sense of have to, doing the deeds of divine hospitality on the standards of her own perfectionism. She's a disciple who's bound for burnout. Because see, Martha, she needs to be the heroic martyr. She needs to be needed by the church. She needs to be needed by the marginalized. She needs to be needed by the saved. And heroes don't sit at the Savior's feet. They don't let Jesus host them because doing so means that they have to stop being heroes. Heroes don't need a Savior. Heroes are the Savior. But, as Jesus says, Mary has understood and chosen the better portion. This phrase, better portion, it's a figurative phrase referring to the right meal. And as Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 8 in his response to Satan in his temptation, in Luke chapter 4, he quotes from Deuteronomy 8, he says, no, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This better portion, this right meal is composed of all God's covenant promises delivered in the person and in the work of Jesus. And Mary gets it. She sees it all. She's sitting at the feet of the great host of the party himself. 
As Mary listens to Jesus, she's welcomed in from the cold and the rain of her own sin. And she gets to sit in the warmth of his love. She's then escorted to his table where he feeds her a meal that will never stop, that will never cease nourishing her. He feeds her a meal of his body and his blood where she is declared righteous, not in some cold, external way that exists on some legal document in a basement someplace, but clothed with his righteousness in such a way that she's freed from having to be the hero. She's freed from all of her martyr complexes. She's freed from having to be needy. And if we at New St. Peter's are going to actively engage in bringing the kingdom, if we're going to actively engage in bringing divine hospitality to our world through gospel proclamation and through physical works of mercy and demonstrations of justice, we must, like Mary, always run to Jesus as our host. By running to Jesus as our host, we are empowered to not separate the work of the kingdom from the person of the king. And you say, Peter's, just as he did at Martha and Mary's house, Jesus was the one to initiate his divine hospitality here among you with us Jesus was the one who created his kingdom here with you with us and he will be faithful to advance it here because he's the host and he always has been so let Jesus Host you with his grace. Amen. Father, we thank you for sending your son to be our host. We're tired. We're not just tired of schedules and full calendars, and we're not just tired of busyness and social and professional demands. We're tired of living in a fallen world as fallen people. We're tired of feeling the need to be needed. And we thank you that you are our host, that you show us to, to the truth that we need you. And our job is to regularly feast on you and to invite others to the same feast. We pray that tonight, this week, this month, you would be working out your kingdom and your divine hospitality through us as individuals, through us as a church and our community. That we would be proclaiming your hospitality, your kingdom. That we would be performing acts and deeds of mercy and justice that testify to its presence here. 
testifying of the presence of the king. Draw our hearts to joy, to joyful praise. For the divine host has come, and his name is Jesus. Pray these things in his name and by the Spirit.